All right, we're going to get going here in the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio. We're here in downtown Seattle having a grand old time. We have a nice group here in the house. If you want to come join us in the house, you can uh, go to hotstovesociety.com. We serve breakfast and hot coffee. And, uh, you know, Dolly Bakery has been so busy that we've kind of moved out of the bakery sandwiches. Is that what's going on, Wayne? Yep. And so uh, Pamela is now taking on responsibility for designing our breakfast in the morning. So Annie, really? I'll just apologize up front. <laughs> it's really she had Annie. Another, uh, it's Annie. She doesn't even eat breakfast. It's and she wants Chef to be Annie, in and she's pretty good at what she does. She's pretty so. good. Okay. I'm Tom Douglas, and we're here at the uh, 4th and Virginia Hotel Andra. It's a beautiful hotel that we uh, stage our show in here and our cooking school up on the second floor. If you go right through the lobby, right up the stairs, you'll come into the bar here at the Hot Stove Society. What's your name, sir? Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat, and I agree with you, Tom. This is a great spot. I love this place here. Doesn't it feel good, you guys? Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a feel-good kind of kitchen, and it's a great place to cook in. Learn to cook or oh, just cook in. It's fun. You know, we had the, one of my favorite events uh, last week that we do here, which is somebody will book us out for a rehearsal dinner. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, a lot of rehearsal dinners, you, you've been to one before sure. where you go, you sit with a, well, you're very friendly. I'm not so friendly. Uh, you go sit at a, at a restaurant at a, at a big table next to somebody you don't know. And that's really the only person you kind of chat with throughout the evening. I mean, I know you get up and work the room, but that's not my forte. Yeah, because it can be really surprising to who next you're sitting to. Well, anyway, my point is, instead, you can come here and do a dumpling challenge and beat the crap out of each other and, and really get to know them and see where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are and where to attack the new family-in-law. Uh, that's a nice planning for a future <laughs> wedding. I love that. Or you could just be nice to each other and really that get, would be a, that really would get be to more know like, each other and yeah. have a lifelong friendship. That's a much better approach, Douglas. Well, it's, it's up to you. That's, what, that's what's cool Start about the hot stove. War will always come. <laughs> that's what's cool about the hot stove is you have your choice to either make lifelong enemies or friends. Today we have peak of the season uh, melons. I had some of Jackie's last night, the ones she grew. I guess she grew both of them. No comment. Um, and they were delicious. We wrapped a little salty prosciutto around, uh, around them, and they were good, really good. And I'm trying to think of the name. Oh, Hannah's Choice. Hannah's Choice. Hannah's Choice. They are the best. Every year I look forward to those. Uh, Pamela's... Uh, Put on our list a uh, Food 52 article from Produce Whisperer Deborah Madison. God, I can't believe she's still around. She's as old. <laughs> she's probably she's not a, as old as us. She's, well, as, old she's as, as old as you. Tom. She's as old as I am. No, no, no. Yeah, you'd yeah, like. She to was see. the chef at Greens when it opened. I remember. Yeah. So she is still kicking. It must be all those healthy vegetables. Uh, we address a listener's request for the canned antipasto recipe of my father-in-law, Jim Cross, who made it every year until his passing. I think he's gone, God, six years now or something like that. But this would be the time of year to start to think about it because it's got cauliflower and carrots and onions and all sorts of goodness out of the garden. Second hour with the cooking club for guys and a tomato. <laughs> yeah. Proudly seated in the front row and they, today. And they're in the front row today and they all have tomatoes. That's very <laughs> impressive. Terry, uh, I hope you know how to duck. <laughs> oh, those yeah. are not rotten, Tom. Them, they're beautiful oh, and they're very beautiful. Beautiful. They're not gonna, gorgeous. They're not throw those, are they? They're not throwing those. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, of course, uh, we're going to play Rub with Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. It's a big challenge. We're going to take out the the four tomatoes, and you and I, we're all going <laughs> to. Looks like there is more than four, though. There's six of them. 
first, let's talk about um, taste of the week. Your taste of the week. Did you have something delicious this week that you want to share with our listeners? Something I made. Oh, what a shocker. Well, I mean, usually they say if you want to be best served, you do it yourself. Who usually says that? I don't know. Oh, okay. I do. <laughs> no, uh, I made a Moroccan uh, chicken salad. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was very happy with what I made because it, it reminded me, you know, I was treating some people who were going on a trip with us in, um, in a month and, um, you know, doing just last minute recap. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a few things Moroccan style, but I did a salad with bell peppers, onion, um, all grilled, grilled chicken, and I marinated into a beautiful rub, dry rub of hasela uh, nut. Um, some beautiful fennel seeds and I ground from the garden. Had some bronze fennel seeds, and um, that was the chicken was just it was perfectly grilled. You know how sometimes who you grilled just, it? Uh, <laughs> my, my neighbor, my neighbor. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it was. I, I, you did you know, say- sometimes I screw up. I mean, you know, it's, sometimes it's too dark or burn or whatever. This was just perfectly done. It was nicely smoked too, and um, put that into the salad. All the legs, it was legs only, meat, because that's my favorite kind of meat. And um, it was just, it came out so delicious. I made a harissa dressing. Harissa, Dijon mustard, olive oil, that's it. Oh, lemon juice. I made that, and that was just, it was a very summery, beautiful evening. That was three nights ago, two nights ago. It was beautiful. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I feel at time, peace. Time uh, to grill some chicken. It was, this is where I'm going with this. Try to grill some chicken. Made a nice little version of I kind of overcooked salad. my salmon that I grilled last night. I wasn't the best grill man. I was cooking for what are we? What were we last night? Sixteen or eighteen? And kind of it kind of got away from me while I was running in and out of the house. I was going to say something because yeah. you should. It's it's something. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily it was a beautiful piece of king which had a little bit of fat to kept it a little bit moist, but it got it kind of got away. And you know, unlike us, we I didn't grill too much. There was no none left. There over. was none left over, man. And the kids were like looking, like, are they? Is there more? You know what? I was. It was. It was heart heartening to see all of the kids. We had two. What do you suppose? What's fourth grade? Seven? No, I don't know. No, no, no. I don't nine. Know. Nine. Nine years old. We had like a nine and a eight or nine and a ten. Nine. Blah blah blah. And two little babies. One is doesn't eat uh, any hard food yet, but uh, it was heartening to see and Clay, who is twenty five or so twenty two, uh, just devour salmon. And I, I think the kids being scared of fish sometimes, and they were not scared. They were like all in. Salmon is good seconds. meat. Salmon yeah. is very good meat. Yeah. So that and we was, have plenty of it here. So it was heartening to see. But my taste of the week was we were at the Met Market at at uh, Picho Rama, I think they call it, and yeah. we picked up. They had four or five different kinds of peaches, and we picked up the Douglas peach, mm-hmm. just because. Just because it was called yeah. Douglas, and it wasn't the sweet. It wasn't the sweetest one on their list of bricks, but it was um, uh, a very balanced peach. You know, sometimes I've argued with John Raleigh or guys like that about you can make them too sweet, right? You can you can breed them to be just a ball of sugar, and that's not very interesting to me. I like that combination where it's. Got a sweet but a nice acid balance. So far this year, I've had three different kind of peaches, all from Met Market, uh-huh. and I haven't found one peach yet that was as sweet as normal year. Huh. Oh. I think we're having a very low sugar year for peaches. Uh-huh. That's what I think. It's all been like nice acid at the end. You know how a peach can be very acidic at the end. 
they all have that little bit of acid, and it's very nice. I, I like it personally. You know, I have a farm, right? And we have a couple of peach trees. Yes. Yeah. And they were just... You think I'm going to drive five hours to were, go get I'm a just peach? Just listen to what I'm going to say, because I only have uh, 10 seconds. We were going out to pick them. They, the, Jackie had tested them. They were fabulous. They were loaded. The tree was loaded. Going out, tells the ladies that she works with, we're going to pick in the morning. Goes out in the morning. They're all gone. Somebody stole our peaches. Disaster. It was a disaster. Somebody actually this stole the trees. Not just the low ones, peaches. but they took the high ones, too. They got on a ladder in oh, our tree goodness. overnight and stole our peaches. In Prosser, Washington. I want to hear that. Everyone, Everything happens bad that's in Seattle, but that was in Prosser, Washington. Anyway, we got to go. Uh, when we come back, it's Smelling the Melon on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. And we're back. Hot Stove Society time right here on Cairo. Hope you're in your garden or in your kitchen. Uh, wherever you are listening to us, we appreciate it. Uh, in the car, uh, on a podcast, you can listen to us so many ways. And I know I left you with a tragic story after that first segment of Jackie's peach tree getting ransacked by somebody. It has to be a neighbor because it's in the middle of the orchard. You can't really see it from the road. Anyway, that's ridiculous. she lost all her peaches. Um, but we, she didn't lose all of her melons. I hate to even say it out loud now. Somebody's going to come case her melons. I know. Yeah, exactly. Nice thing you know they're going to steal all the melons. Uh, annually, you've heard me talk on this show about Jackie's, uh, the, the melon that she calls it's, uh, a type of musk melon or cantaloupe, uh, which is called Hannah's Choice. And I'd be curious if anyone's ever gone out and bought the seed after hearing it on the show and how it worked for them. But, God, darn, they're delicious. They smell like so fragrant. I had them in my garage because they, uh, you know, they just continue to ripen and ripen. And I don't pop them in the fridge until they're almost soup. Uh, I cut one open last night for prosciutto and melon, and it was almost soup on the inside, just in the cavity where the seeds were. I literally had to rush and get paper towels so it didn't drip all over the place. Sure. Yeah. Those are perfect. Oh my god, it was perfect. That's What's your I, favorite I, thing to do with those? To me, it's when I put it in the fridge. I don't put it in the fridge whole. I, I like to. Just keep it outside all the way until the end, cut it, and then put it in the fridge for like five minutes so it chills down a little bit. Yeah, I get that. But when you're not, like, when you have six of them and you're kind of pacing them out, you have to, like, oh, yeah. once they hit that spot, they'll just rot. Yeah. I mean, they once literally right, you have to put them in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite way to eat melon? Well, I like to eat melon by itself. I'm a big fan of that for breakfast in the morning. Um, but I also like it in salads. Um, I like to do a, a, a melon and uh, smoked trout salad. It's one, one of my uh, little go-to in terms of summer salad. And just drizzled olive oil, sea salt, bit of harissa, because that's my go-to. Um, if it's not mustard, it's harissa. So a little bit of harissa to give it a little kick. And good piece of very good melon, ripe melon. It's one thing I don't like is to have a melon that has no ripeness to it or mm. that doesn't taste like melon. Not like fun. most of the melon we get in most of the year. Correct. We can't seem to stop ourselves from buying melons throughout uh, December and January and stuff. Cantaloupe in January is definitely mm. not a cantaloupe mm. for me. No. So. But I want to recommend somebody, because every year, a dear, a dear friend of mine who passed away a couple of years ago um, was a great cook, and um, he turned me on to this melon from Oregon, this farm, uh, John Walchili, and... Um, he get this cantaloupe, this beautiful cantaloupe melon, 
and it is absolutely delicious. Uh-huh. What tastes the, like melon? What's the little French melon? It's not Charlemagne, is it? What is it? The little no, French um, cantaloupe. You just took the name away from me. Not Charlemagne. That's the guy who invented school. That's you want me to tell you my favorite way to make melon? Yes. Okay. Please. No, but you were telling me about this great... This. Well, no, I, mean, I just want to make sure that... Um, I, I just want to give him a plug. So if you're on the peninsula, my friend lives, used to live in Debab. His wife is still there, so Zoe. And um, we used to eat those cantaloupe. And I just had it recently last week, as a matter of fact. And um, it just reminded me. So I took the sticker and brought it with me. And it's a uh, farm from Oregon. And they, they distribute on the peninsula. It's really delicious. I recommend it. Grown in Hermiston, which is actually southeast of our farm, I believe, uh, over on the hot side of Oregon. Correct. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's John Wal- Walshley. 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 Yeah. I see. All right. I see. Uh, they're really, really, what, what I like about that specific melon is it tastes like a cantaloupe, like a melon. Uh huh. And it's, when it's perfect, it's just amazing. That's what I love about those Hannah's Choice, too. That right. They have a real musk melon quality. Uh, my favorite thing to do, and Hinkley has had these, and Miss Pamela, our producer, has had these, is to puree, when they get super ripe, puree them and make a cantaloupe margarita. Mm, uh, of course. Really, or a cantaloupe daiquiri or some sort. Just, you just want to drink with them the when they're that nice sweet and juicy. Salt rim. Yeah, that's, you know, that reminds me. My mother always salted her cantaloupe. Me too. But I like she always use that Morton crappy salt. On oh, it, no. Which, which, you know, you take that beautiful melon and then you put that kind of iodized flavor right on top. And it's not, not for me. Well, we've grown from that. It's just use a little finishing salt. That's when you use your finishing salt. Yeah, like a little flake Malden or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I did a great recipe this week with melon. Wait a minute. Wait, no wait, surprise. Neither one of us tried it. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's ease up on the word great until we hear oh about it. Oh, my God. It was uh, Wednesday's New York time. And uh, toasted coriander seed, lime, olive oil. And then you cube the melon and cucumber and grill shrimp for the top. Mm, nice. And then make that limey Ooh, that coriander good. dressing for the whole thing. And finish with feta. Lovely. Oh, Cracked wow. pepper. That sounds great. <laughs> we actually, think, we think you should make that for us next actually, week. Actually, yeah, actually, a little bit of Julian mint or, or maybe yeah. Yeah. anise isop would be delicious. It in said, that. yeah, just be super generous oh, with even, all the herbs. Even tarragon, basil. Would be tarragon, good. that is a good idea. Yeah, tarragon would be good with that. Last night I was cooking a birthday supper for my niece who's visiting from the East Coast right now, used to live here, and Pamela came over and expressed. Great surprise and admiration for a melon baller. She was so, like, out of her mind. Like, I finally know <laughs> how, how to use, to use a melon baller. Did you know that there was a you technique? A, do you know there's a, a cooking school called Hot Stuff Society? That's, that's where, where, that's I where learned she learned it. it. So tell us, Pamela, what is the correct way to make a melon ball? Frankly, I've been making them for years. And I didn't realize I never that. even knew. I didn't know people didn't know how to use them. Yeah. No, okay. stop it. Uh, pressing it has a hole in the top for the reason what's the reason so Kelty was uh, to bring the juice up to make sure you're deep enough into the fruit it's so too, it was it's one of late. our cooks that, yeah, it's too late that, you push on it so it can come all the way in and so it comes all the way in yeah. push it down but I I was missing the full rotation I was just scooping. You're doing half a ball? So you were making yeah. half. <laughs> and so I'm always like, how come my spheres are incomplete? And he demonstrated the full. This is our producer, folks. 
<laughs> and we have the, a food radio this is the show. One who designs a food radio show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you're going to see some of my practice fears today. You can hardly even say is the it, word is fear. It fear. Is it fear or fe- sphere? <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, from romantic Willimantic, Connecticut. They don't really speak English up there. No. No. Oh. Wow. Melonpour. So <laughs> It was a big day yesterday. And then I saw Tom doing a rotation on the grill, which I had never thought of doing before. Oh, where instead of like moving your meat around the grill, you yeah. just turn the rack you around. Turn the rack, yeah. yeah. To the hot part of the fire. <laughs> what a day I had. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. And you know what? It's it's what makes life so great when yeah. you you know you discover things like this and you're like duh. <laughs> so Pamela, so here's the question I have. Now you know how to melon ball, right? But it also leaves quite a bit of residual on no. the thing. So what do you do with all of that? I have to hide it before Annie gets here because I just trashed the watermelon. And uh-huh. I don't know. There's make a, a soup. You, you, yeah. I mean, you can leave a lot of waste, so you have yeah. to be very efficient about how you go around the melon to leave. But this is when you do your margarita place. or your, yes. your margarita base or all that. You use that, you puree it, which is once you have a pureed watermelon that's a good watermelon... You can do a cold soup. You can use those water, those bowls as a garnish into your soup. You can use, I mean, you can do your margarita and put the balls on the sticker and roll them in a little sugar with a little um, mm. heat chili. Put that as a garnish to your margarita. I mean, you can use, there is no ending to how, what you can, you can do individual melon ball wrapped with a little prosciutto and serve that as an appetizer. Now we're talking. Chef, you, you've, no go, you've gone beyond, Chef. You've gone beyond. A hot, spicy well, You need to make sure your bowls are round. Garnishing your sweet margarita. Okay. And try mezcal instead of, yes. instead of tequila, so you'll get that smokiness in your margarita, too. Up next, it's Deborah Madison's uh, take on some useful tools for elevating your preparation of vegetables. We already started with a melon ball. Let's keep going. Thanks to her beloved cookbooks, Deborah Madison has been teaching Americans how to eat their vegetables for many, many years. And Pamela, uh, I, is, I've known you for 40-some years now. God, you're old. Uh, True. Yeah, and uh, I, I, this woman is like a god to you. She, she has been an inspiration for your life and your cooking for so many years. Tell me about... How you got kind of turned on to her? Was it at the restaurant Greens, or did you actually, after that? Or tell, tell me about your relationship with Deborah Madison. By the way, I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Roach, your older chef in the hat. And we're on Cairo in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Well, if we go all the way back to when I was a hippie and being influenced by Francis Moore LePay's book, Diet for a Small Planet. Uh, because I grew up with um, chicken farmers and dairy farmers and slaughtering pigs and cows. So um, there was always farm fresh vegetables, but meat was the center of our plate. Um, so when I started seeing these other influences and understanding what Francis Moore LePay was trying to get at about changing the balance of what we eat, uh, I was uh, determined to figure out how to make barley taste good because I, this was what year? This was early seventies, uh, late seventies, late seventies. So I w- went to work, unbelievable, as a chef in a hippie vegetarian restaurant. Funny, that's <laughs> why so she quit. 
and that's when Deborah. You were making flat melon balls all the way back then. <laughs> no. That's when Deborah Madison was starting to come onto the scene. So when I moved to the West Coast, making a pilgrimage to Greens was really important because she presents vegetables in such an engaging and highly seasoned way uh-huh. and use different cooking techniques. I right. mean, I grew up with a mom that just boiled the crap out of everything. So to have a vegetable that has some tooth and some char and combined with wonderful herbs was really important. Yep. Right. And so... Uh, and then learning, too, that Deborah is not a vegetarian. So she balances her flavors to have a lot of that satisfying umami. Right. So I've just always big, been a big fan. Did you always have the Moosewood cookbooks? <laughs> of course. Of course you did. <laughs> I have it somewhere. I haven't looked at you it still in have it? 20 years. I don't know that I have, still have one, but that was a very big that was vegetarian a big... restaurant, right? Yep. Up in the Northeast. A little cafe. But what, what I like still about her, and I'm glad she's still writing, um, and what we're going to try to talk about today is tools in the kitchen that help you get a more elevated result out of your vegetables. And I wanna, of course, she says your nose and your hands are the most important thing because you get so many clues from aroma. Um, but one of the tools she mentioned, Terry, and you have to educate me, is the Fetu pan. Oh, Fetu, yeah. Please tell. I don't well, know what that is. Fetu could be your enamel le creuset pot. Uh, usually a Fetu is about... A tall side or a short side? Usually a Fetu is a little bit taller. Mm-hmm. But um, a Fetu is the pot my mom used to use to make any kind of stew, any kind of soup, any kind of... She would always... Used where is my fetu? Oh, he's my fetu. So if that's a fetu. What's a coquette? A coquette? Yeah, remember uh, a coquette? Isn't that um, isn't, some? Isn't that a tall-sided enamel pan too? No, I think no. I think that's a must be a different name. Okay. Coquette means cute. Hmm. Charlotte. Charlotte. Oh, that's maybe what you're thinking no. of. That's a mole for. Yeah, that's a. You know what that is? Yes, of course. Um, no, so fetu is like, it, it means make all. Like you can do anything in there. It sounds like a Dutch oven. It is kind of, a, exactly, like a Dutch oven. Maybe not cast iron, maybe thinner. But it's, it's the pot that you use for basically all everything you're cooking in, except for, it's not a saute pan, but to any kind of stew or anything, you do it in there. And um, it's very, it, every household has one in France. What they use as a main, you know. So, uh, Pamela, when you see, when you say that fat too, and you're thinking vegetables, are you? What are you thinking that you want to cook in there? Something that I want to um, put a sear on and then braise. And braise, yeah, yeah, like a big uh, daikon radish or a- like the carrots I made the other night mm-hmm. when I was doing that Moroccan dinner. I did carrots uh, sweated in olive oil gently, and then toasted cori- coriander. Um, a little bit of ground nutmeg, and a little bit of tarragon. And I put that very slowly, and then a little bit of water, and cook that very gently into a fetu pot, and then cover it. Cook it very gently uh, for about 25 minutes, gently. So the carrot, big chunks of carrots, by the way. So they were not mush, they were just tender. And then a little bit of honey to, de- to finish ah. as the liquid is, sip- is uh, gone. 
almost gone, a little bit of honey, and then glaze the whole thing up and finish it like that. And you end up with a little bit of uh, crack, lots of crack paper on top. And you end up with little kind of like sweet and um, peppery kind of carrots glazed. Really Beautiful. delicious with that coriander. But that pan helped you manage the moisture. Well, you can do everything in there, like between the liquid and the um, caramelization. Yeah, exactly. Cocotte. It's not coquette. Oh, cocotte. Cocotte, yes. Sorry, I was so far off, chef. Yeah, you... <laughs> so, uh, just saying. I can find you two words in English. Tom's so probably doing some research. Exactly the same concept of sounding the same, but so one well, very different. Let's go back to your carrots for a second, because I think sometimes people think, carrots, I'm going to cook this way. Right, and I think that in vegetable cooking you have to like like anything really, but but you could also think about it in vegetables. Is that when you go by the the produce department and you see the little baby carrots, and then you see kind of like the organic carrots with the green tops on, and then all of a sudden you see the huge, huge carrots. Um, all of them are perfectly delicious. Correct. And but in the too to me is where i want to if i get stuck having just a really big kind of roasting i think think of them as kind of being correct long roasting carrots uh that is you know it's that's actually what to you think want. about when you're buying a certain carrot because like like to your point that's not you don't want the little baby carrots for what you just described you correct. want kind of those big roasting carrots and correct a lot of times in farmers markets the, they come i mean there's some chunky carrots to yeah. come out there they, yeah. they look like me yeah yeah yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And often in the farmer's market, you buy a bunch of carrots, there's not one carrot the same, mm-hmm. which is the other part that kind of bugs me when you go to the store. They all look the same. <laughs> like, who farmed this? Because <laughs> I grow carrots every year, and I never find two carrots the same in my garden. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, they're not straight, and they're, you know, different shape. The other tool um, that Deborah was saying is so important was a double boiler, and it made me go running to my basement uh, because I, I think something you're alluding to with the gentle cooking, she was talking about holding at a uh, softer, lower temperature or using it for uh, vegetable purees, uh, things that you didn't really want to heat up. Well, like if you make a good mashed potato and you make it three hours before your guest get to your house. You f- need to find a way to keep it warm, right? Double boiler is a perfect example of good usage of that. You take a bowl, you put your mashed potato in it, and you cover it with a plastic wrap. It's sealed tight, and you put it in a, in a double boiler very gently. It will keep the mashed potato perfectly warm and exactly at the temperature you want it. Because it's not the same if you cool it down and then you rewarm it, especially if you make Dries something that, like I make, which is at least 40% butter and 60% potato. You don't really want to go through the warming session. It can literally break. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. Like, it's going to separate. Yeah. It's not going to be the same. So, you know, you get this gorgeous, like, melt-in-your-mouth kind of mashed potato. You're like, you don't want, you just keep it warm, and then it's going to be gone. You're not going to have any leftover anyway. Who's, uh, who makes the famous Joel Robuchon potatoes, yeah. right? That Joel or, Robuchon, yeah. Or like that, almost 50% butter. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Cream and butter. Yeah. The two best thing you can put in potatoes. I want that right now. Hey, you have 30 <laughs> seconds. Your last kitchen tool. Super sharp paring knife. Ah, yeah. Getting in and around all those important crevices mm-hmm. in your peppers and pe- uh, better than a peeler for some things. Just got to keep your paring knife really sharp. And there's two kinds of paring knives, especially I think one for the, what you're talking about. It's actually a thin blade. It looks like a mini boning knife. 
Yeah. That's a thin blade paring knife that goes great on some of the, the little things that you have to do. Because I find sometimes, even on, like on my paring knife that I sell in my line, uh, it's, it can be too wide for certain things, in, in my opinion, like a strawberry hauling or something yep. that you really want a small bladed paring knife for. Agreed 100%. Yeah. So. And it's, not, it, it's nothing wrong to have two different kind of paring knife. You need one, one thin, thin, a little bit curved, and then one straight. Those are perfectly the great tool to use in the kitchen. Coming up next, we're going to talk about antipasto, and not kind of the one that you get on a sliced meat and cheese no? platter. No, we're going to talk about a different kind of antipasto when we come back on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven-three FM. Let's jump right back into the Hot Stove Society show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rochereau, the chef in the hat. Thierry, we, we make a lot of family recipes. Uh, you always talk about your mom's cooking. Uh, I don't talk about my mom's cooking much. She was more of a service cook, if you know what I mean. She would probably slap me upside the head if she heard me say that. But, um, you know, when you're cooking for eight kids and your husband, and oftentimes, uh, you know, the grandparents lived with us in their final years, and you're putting breakfast, lunch, and dinner on for 10 or 12, three times a day, plus snacks. Yeah. Uh, you're, you, you do what you can do. Right. I think my mom was the same. I mean, she, there was definitely, she wasn't a, a, a chef's cook every day. There's right. No way. She right. was, but, it, you know, especially you like. Develop a, you develop a taste for that kind of correct. food. You, you talk about it constantly. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. It. When I get home, my mom's going to make me put the food, yeah. which is basically a boiled beef dinner. So yeah. um, we had a, a listener. Jan Pernod, or Penrod asked for my father-in-law's antipasto recipe, which we've talked to years ago. Uh, it was something that he learned from his mother, and uh, it was more of a, at a time, this recipe came about at a time when you've got the last of the season, all the different stuff available, uh, cauliflower, carrots, celery. Uh, he always put olives. He put canned tuna. Uh, things like this, all together in a little tomato broth of sorts, uh, and stewed it and canned it, and you had it all winter long, this delicious kind of uh, antipasto thing. And he ended up, while it became a necessity for his mother, she was an uh, Italian immigrant uh, over homesteading over there in northern Idaho, Harrison, Idaho. Just like confit, right? It was... uh, Confit was a necessity for a long time, and Correct. then it became a flavor profile and a, and, a, and a feel in the mouth that people enjoyed, and so they kept doing it even when we had refrigeration. Right, you right. didn't need to do it anymore, right? Correct. So I think of antipasto now in that same kind of vein as just being kind of a fun, traditional end of summer. Grandma taught me how to do it. It's grandma's recipe. I, I think antipasto is probably one of those most understood, uh, misunderstood dish because I think often... It is quite bastardized, and uh, you go in many places and or Italian restaurant in some Italian restaurant, and it's pretty lame in some in most. Well, restaurants. I don't even think it's out there. I don't, don't even think it's available. We're talking about almost like a stew of vegetables, right? And you, the, you just don't see it anywhere. You don't even see it on the grocer's shelf, right? Right. Have you seen one lately? It's I mean, t- there might be cons- one out there, and it's also it's older a, style. It's an older thing, yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm looking for. Uh, Jan to take this recipe that uh, Jackie found. It's even all ripped up. Did you see the picture she said? It's all ripped up and and to make it and to send it to us. If I'm going to give it oh, out. That's a good idea. If I'm going to give out Jan the recipe, the it. secret, sacred family recipe, 
Or you're going to have to shrink it down because it starts with 40 pints. Does it? Is <laughs> yeah. it? <laughs> it 20, 20 pints. No, no, top it says 40 pints. So she has enough to sa- share oh, with I us. Oh, I see there's two. If you see there's 20 pints and 40 pints. Oh, so maybe there's an error uh, So anyway, that's the kind of thing that it would be. It would be a family yeah. project. Yeah. We talk about it uh, over at Prosser when we make our... The Prosser Meatball Project, where I buy 100 pounds of different meats and we put it all together. And as a family, we make meatballs and then take them to each of our individual freezers. This would be the same. Take them to each of your pantries after you can them. Right, right. right? Uh, Let's just start at the top. And if you want this recipe, Pamela will post it on our website. Sure. It's got uh, onions, carrots, peppers. And so, so far, all three of those things we grow at our farm. So that's kind of the fun part, right? If you can grow these things even better, they can go... Going to the QFC and just buying a bag of this and a bag right, of that. Right, or right. Go to a farmer's market. Take it, take it to the direction yeah, yeah, it's yeah. intended, right? Uh, this was a surprise cucumber. to me. Cucumber. I, I would think as you it would can mush. this that it would just braise out. But no, it uh, doesn't because if you think of Eastern European dishes, you know, they, they cook cucumber with paprika and uh-huh. everything. It doesn't, it doesn't somehow, it doesn't fall into mush. It's just one of those things that I, I was surprised to see that in there. I would never have guessed, and I don't remember it. When I was have had it over the years as something that, yeah, you know, as a bite because everything else you can kind of oh there's a piece of cauliflower right there's a right piece right of carrot, you recognize right? it yeah mushrooms cauliflower green beans interesting and I love it says fourteen cans I know fourteen cans <laughs> oh, straight cut so <laughs> even my even Grandma Croce was was using canned food at that time right uh, ripe olives so that to me is the lindsay or the black olive right right to, because uh, green olives are unripe uh, typically but she also has green olives stuffed i know with the little pimento inside isn't it funny uh and then there's olive oil ketchup that's the tomato no, thank you that's the tomato but if you think about it the ketchup is a lot of sugar a lot of tomato and some vinegar right so it's giving her this kind of funny little balance of adding some sweetness vinegar hot sauce uh, up to your preference of how much and so the fish was a, a large tin of anchovies and a large larger tin of uh, tuna tuna so th- that is the classic kind of recipe so you preheat your liquids to a near boil in a large kettle. Mix in the mashed anchovies and keep over low to medium heat while adding the chopped vegetables. As mixture heats through, add tuna. Mix carefully to avoid any mushing. So you don't really cook it a whole lot because it just, has to get canned. I'm just picturing those cans of tuna falling into that liquid. I'm like, yeah. Well, they stay, in a, they stay chunky because yeah, yeah. you're not doing much. Not just the matter of putting it in there. So uh, a little trick on, on this one is that they, you, know, you have to use a wide mouth jar because you are going to get in there with Correct. a spoon and you don't want to mash it all up. You want it to come out in the chunks that you put it in as. And, uh, and the reason you want a wide mouth is because you want to be able to take them out. I just experienced that with something a couple of days ago, preserved lemon in a jar, and the jar was a thin mouth. I could not take the lemon out without cutting it. I thought, what a dumb idea. Who puts that in and uh-huh. doesn't think it's going to, you know, right. come out because it's in liquid? I was like, that wasn't well thought of. So here's, where, here's what I wanted to ask you and uh, Pamela about, because Pamela's actually had Jim's antipasto before. So many, many times. Many I'm just ago. dreaming of it right now because yeah. there's no other flavor quite like it. He would always serve it with Ritz crackers. or, or not it. Ritz, uh, saltine crackers. Saltine. Uh, what would you add to this recipe to kind of bring it to my flavor? Because if you notice... There's not one fresh herb in here. Yeah, it needs green yeah. onions. 
That's what I would. You add. would add green onions. I would add things like oregano. First thing that comes to mind is we were talking about tarragon. I have a whole bunch of tarragon in my house. I would definitely take tarragon and sprigs of tarragons in there, because mm-hmm. um, I would give flavor as. What's the other glaring miss here for an Italian antipasto? Garlic. There's no garlic. In I know. It. I saw that. I was like, "Where's the garlic?" There's it's no garlic. very glaring to me that uh, that this recipe would contain no garlic. So I would. If I was going to do this, I would either blanch or roast off garlic and then put it into the mix. Because if you put whole garlic in at the same time you put, the, say, the cauliflower carrots in, it might not cook. It's also probably part of Italy that is northern, eastern Italy. She's southern. But that's, I mean... I know, it's a big mess. Cauliflower and, and all that stuff is not so much... Well, I'm telling you where they're from. Oh, yeah, so yeah. You can believe I, me or I, not. No, I believe you. I believe you. But <laughs> I, uh, right first... in the middle between Rome and the and the and Puglia. Okay. So, so I wouldn't. It's not super southern. No, it's but, more central. Yeah. yeah. So glaring mist to me is garlic. Uh, anything else? Yeah, no ketchup for me. I just I would do a dash of vinegar instead, and I would do a tomato, tomato paste. Yeah, no tomato in a can. You took canned tomato. I mean, mm-hmm. she's using canned beans and. Use canned tomato, you know, the one in the hole in the juice. I'm and assuming we're going back to fresh beans. So Yes, me too. We're not gonna, I, I, I don't like the idea of putting canned food and then canning it. Yes. <laughs> but again, it's not my recipe. But it's I'm like just, defrosted and refrosted. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I agree with you. I think fresh beans. And Things you don't want to add, whether you might have around, don't add broccoli. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. Or any sort of that, those really stinky cabbages. Just because you don't like broccoli. No, I love broccoli, okay. but not, it would not work in here. Because it's going to take over the whole pot. Right. You know, one thing you could put is Swiss chards. You could do the stem of the Swiss chard cut mm-hmm. in pieces. That would be delicious. Put that in there. Mm-hmm. What are the vegetables? It would cook in the right amount of time and stay firm, too. So I would, I would pre-blanch them to put them in there. Because everything is, you know, it's a quick cook. It's a quick, so you don't want to, you know, it takes time to cook a Swiss chard. Yeah. So I would pre-cook it. I would pre-blanch it. Anyway, so if you want to uh, have a fun end of summer project, to me, this is a hoot and... Frankly, I think I'm going to try it this year. You know what? Okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to try it, too, and I'm going to make my own version. Because um, my, my father had labels made with his, mother, his mother's picture on it. So it says the Croce oh, Antipasto. So that's another area you can kind of make it individual. And really fun Christmas gifts. If you, uh, at the time, you're going to somebody's house for Thanksgiving, bring over a can of Antipasto. It's much better than a plastic turkey or something goofy like that. Don't you think? Anything is better than plastic turkey. Even cheese. Even cheese. Okay, we got a big second hour coming your way. We're excited to be with you. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks to our audience here for being so uh, loud and boisterous today. That was has been so fun. Uh, when we come back, we've got another full hour on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Thank you for sticking with us over that long break. Uh, Terry, we have one more hour to change the world. That quiche this was week. superb. Our breakfast quiche here today was pretty darn Delicious. tasty, wasn't it? Yeah. Nicely uh, light and custardy and mm. creamy and full of browned onions. Uh, we uh, are going to jump into a, a family friend, we'll call it. Uh, Jim Maurer is here. He is uh, a faithful listener, and he's told us about part of a cooking club that he is part of and helped start. And it's a special way to connect with friends. And I think in our first segment, let's talk about that, how to, how to form a club, how to stay with it, how to not be embarrassed if something goes sideways. Yeah. 
you know, those are all things that kind of stop people in their tracks a little bit. So uh, we've invited Jim and his his gang of four guys and a tomato for three full segments. And we're going to jump all the way through the hoops of what it what it uh, what it means to join a cooking club. This is a small cooking club, Jim. It's it's, uh, it's nice. Good it's, size. It's nice. Yeah. yeah, we've been together for almost ten years. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things I like about that it's four guys, so it's actually five guys, four guys and a tomato, is that uh, it's not intimidating to cook for six people, five people all the time. Whereas when you start getting 10, 12, 20 people together, people can get super intimidated and want to drop out. Right. And well, it's a lot of work. I mean, uh, yeah. realistically, from your home kitchen, to be cooking for 12 people is, is, is a right. task. Uh, but it's mainly a social thing. Yeah, you know, right. It's a cliche, food is love, but um, food just brings us together. It's, mm-hmm. right. it's really about being together and having a good time and uh, learning from each other, okay, like so, uh, Pamela did with the melon ball. Exactly. So to, uh, introduce your friend Frank here and then tell us uh, how things got started. Okay, well, uh, f- Frank's probably the biggest foodie in the, in the group. Uh, he brings uh, not only his parents' Chinese heritage to it, but he brings every culture uh, to our uh, our evenings. Frank, why don't you uh, explain how we got together? Because you're kind of the instigator. Well, th- this is going to be my version. Of course, if you ask the four <laughs> other guys, it'd be totally different. You know, around I think year 2010, so that's about 12 years ago, we all worked at Microsoft on the same project. It was called Pangea, right? So every, every project needs a database person, a PM, a manager, that kind of thing. And we had to work really closely together to make everything work successfully. Because we, were, we spent so much time together, um, we got to be really close. We realized we all got along really well. And so naturally, towards the end of the week, Thursday or Friday, we would say, well, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And Tim, one of the guys, he says, I'm going to some wine event in New York, and I'll bring back some pictures to show you because it's a really nice event. And sure enough, Monday comes along. He brings back these really nice pictures of really good-looking food, and he was raving how great it was. Right? We all love to eat. So. And then he showed us a picture of who was in attendance. Now, back in 2010, that's when I started really wanting to learn how to cook really well. It was pictures of Wolfgang Puck, Ermel Lagasse, all my heroes back in the day uh-huh. from Food Network. As we went out to lunch more and more, we, we found out that we had always talked about food, right? We'd go to some Thai restaurant like Bai Tong, and th- their food was, you know, the fresh rolls were really great. Or, you know, we found out we always talked about food. And we thought, oh, maybe we should take a stab at doing this, you know, ourselves, right? And we have a group of five of us that normally go to lunch together. One of them doesn't cook. So that's why we came up, came up with four guys and a tomato. Uh-huh. And it's just <laughs> named tomato? His name uh, is Aaron. No. 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 Um, and I'm not even sure why he became the tomato other than he was the odd person out. Maybe Mike <laughs> could talk about that yeah, later. We'll get, that. we'll get to that. Yeah, Mike is shaking his head really hard over there. He's like, and so did anyone come to the table with uh, particular skills of cooking? We all have our... Just interest. We all have interest in perfecting whatever we make, right? right? So I have my skill set from my parents and, and all the things that I've been exposed to. And then, you know, Tim and his wine and Mike and his tiramisu. I mean, everybody has diff- a different skill set. Right. Like, definitely. Which is what, what you want. You want a diversified skill, right. skill set. Yeah. We learn a lot from each other. Yeah, exactly. 
So the very first day we did this, you know, I made what some panko oysters. He made okonomiyaki. We had, of course, tiramisu, and Tim made his uh, crab cakes, right? And it was so fun. Plus, we all liked wine, right? So we said, let's do this again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So we just kept going on. So well, the old poker club... Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it's all boys. There's no, there's no, right. no partners, no spousal units invited, right? Well, later on, once a year at Bainbridge, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. So I guess at the end of the day, we have a lot in common. We all get along together. But three things stand out to me. One is that we all have that same desire to make the perfect food, the, the, you know, perfect every recipe to our liking. Right. Right. Whether it be dim sum, whether it be pizza, whether it be anything. We just want everything to be as perfect as possible. We would make two or three renditions of everything when we make stuff and pick the best, best version. Two, when we get together, we get to eat things that we sometimes don't normally get to eat at, at home, right? So uh, some people can't eat nightshades, so we can't have potatoes and we can't have tomatoes. Uh, some people can't have dairy, so we can't have cheese, Right? And my family don't like to eat spicy, but none of us have those restrictions when we get together. So that's number two. That's nice. Yeah, yeah that's we go nice. wild. <laughs> and number three, we all like wine. Mm-hmm. Right? We're fortunate to have a Samanye in our group, and his wife's a Samanye too. And he can expertly pair any food with any wine. Mm-hmm. In fact, he won that contest last time where he would take a sip and he could tell you what region of France or wherever it is that the wine came from. So these are three main things. And last for me, I also learned a lot, right? I learned, we all learned from each other. I learned uh, what tannins were and, and wine, right? And one time, um, I think I overheard Tim was talking to somebody about how great this one restaurant was. And, and I, I was overhearing him, and, I was, and he was saying about, he was talking about these different dishes. And then all of a sudden, he was talking about Car tires. So, <laughs> what the heck is he, must he talking have been about? Drinking Chateau Neuf du Pop is my guess. Yeah. That's when I learned the name Michelin is not just about car tires. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the rating for a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> so I think of a lot of Chateau Neuf having like burnt tire smells. No, but I like <laughs> the how many thread on that restaurant. <laughs> So it gets, oh, that restaurant has no thread left. <laughs> it gets better with each event, and this is my version of how we got together. Awesome. Frank, thank you so much. Yeah, thank we'll you so much. the rest of the group as we go along here. And uh, think of this as a little bit of anybody that wants to have some advice on how to start a club. Uh, Jim is very active, and it was be happy to take your emails and send you a personal <laughs> reply. Yes, indeed. Up next, in this food club, four, four dudes in a tomato. Um, how do you pick your themes, you know? Well, please describe some of the, the epic meals that have come out of this little fascinating uh, quintet. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97. We're back here in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society Show. We've been joined by some uh, faithful listeners. Has anyone else listened to our show, Jim, besides you, or... You just inform them I, of I, all the interesting tidbits that you hear. I brought two groupies with us oh, today, yeah, so I think yeah. they're the other two listeners. Yeah. That so means we have five, people. I think. Six, six Oh, six people. now that are listeners. What a crowd. What a crowd. Jim Mowers, our guest, along with his cooking club, uh, four dudes, 
what do you call it? Four dudes and a tomato? Four guys. Four guys. So same diff. No, it's not the same diff. Four gentlemen and a tomato is not the same thing. <laughs> uh, okay, we, we learned how you kind of got together as a group uh, from Frank. Tim is here now. Tim, I kind of play your role in this mix because I keep a nice wine cellar also. I'm not, I don't travel as much other than just to go hang out and blah, blah, blah. But um, I do keep a nice cellar. So tell us about your role in this group and uh, all these freeloaders that feel uh, comfortable raiding your cellar every week or every month. Good point, good point. <laughs> um, I think they were vicariously living through me since I was traveling with no kids. I mean, you can get on the road and yeah. you don't oh, have to yeah, worry about the dog, the kids, that's freedom stuff all the like way. that. And my father-in-law was a sommelier and loved to travel for food and wine. So when I met my wife, I'm thinking like, gosh, you've been to a lot of great restaurants. And uh, wow, that's an expensive wine. Uh, I need to hang out with her a little more. Yeah, you know, exactly. find out what this is all about. And when you get on the road to some of these regions of the world in these restaurants with the three-star Michelins, and they're not tires, obviously, you know, you get exposed to things like you come out of the restaurant and it's like, what just happened? Yeah. Sometimes why is this sometime like a, it's a wow? Why. We call it a wow. You know, it's like, why is it a wow? And when it's a wow, you're thinking like, gosh, I, I can't afford this every day. So how do I do this at the house? You know, and that's what kind of got me into it. It's like, I want to do this back at home because I can't afford to spend that $700 a plate or whatever mm-hmm. it is at different places in the world. And then the wine, getting exposed to a lot of the wine, we decided, my wife and I, to go through sommelier training. And the idea is once you get the wine and the food together, trying to elevate them both at the same time to kind of do a wow at the house. Yeah, and once, once you're more comfortable with the knowledge of the wine, then it's easier to invest into buying wine. Exactly. Because that's, that's a scary thought for somebody to spend 100 bucks on a bottle of wine if they don't know about and wine. And then put it down for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And then wait and then go, oh, that was not the wine to put away. Exactly. Oops. And my goal was to... Be at a point when I retire to be able to go to the cellar, pull out a 10-year-old bottle, and then have a hot dog with it. You know, yeah. watch a football game. Huh. And everyone's going, wait a second. This is a little expensive wine to be, Watching you know, football with? Watching football and if having a hot Bowl, dog, I mean, though. It's a hot dog. And everyone's like, why not something fancier? And it's like, well, it's about the game. And I just like wine, so let's pair the food and the wine together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with eating good food watching a football game. Exactly. So it's a very it, big misconception. So how does it then relate to your group? Well, we were all engineers, so the first time they included me, it was this meeting that I never knew anything about. And it's like, hey, I just got invited to this meeting called Deep Thoughts. Ooh, satanic. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, what's Deep Thoughts? And, they, and there's no distribution on this. It's all blind copies on this email. And they go, well, you're going to have to show up. <laughs> and what it was, was it just a drinking thing. Microsoft. <laughs> so they started asking me about the wine, and then they are asking about restaurants. And so and then it's like, no, it can't be that good. Come on. You know, that's not right. And I said, well, let's have some contests. You know, let's get together. You know, my wife travels every week because she's a medical consultant. And it's like, let's get together. I'm free. And we normally did it on a Thursday and broke away. Come up so, with something. so you guys were not working on Friday morning? <laughs> Fridays were a little tough. Let's say that. <laughs> no big meeting on Fridays. This is before the work at home era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one of them was just 
just steaks, you know? And I was running into Brian Flannery steaks at one time, and they're just going, those can't be, they're not worth it. I said, let's do a steak contest then, you know? Okay, I control the cooking here, the method of this. It's going to be a reverse sear. It's a New York. You can't marinate. The only thing you can do, if you want to do it, is salt and pepper. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then we kind of broke it up. Jim's running the temperatures. We had another guy running the the sear on a big hot, you know, barbecue. Mm -hmm. And we had the oven and all laid out. Took pictures of it before we started. When when we finished, (laughs) I had more Brian Flannery steaks. There was Costco steaks in there. There was Double D Ranch, you know, Butcher. There was Whole Foods, so on. And it's like, hey, there's no cost limit here. It's just let the steaks speak for itself, right? And at the end of the game, it was really Brian Flannery won it. It was surprising. Some of the other, you know, places came up pretty high in the ranking with their steaks, which was awesome. So, Were you doing equal grades across your steaks, just out of curiosity? No, it was just, it had to be a New York cut. That's it. But it could be choice wagyu. Yes, could be anything. exactly, okay. exactly. So it's like whatever you want to spend, whatever you want to do, as long as it's New York, I don't care. So you know? was the most expensive steak the winner or was not? Uh, it, it was. However, after that was the surprising spot. Costco okay. is my guess. Costco came up a lot higher than the Whole Foods, and Whole Foods was pretty expensive. You know, we called Whole Paycheck. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, so you're the wine guy. What wines went best with the steak? Well, normally if you're trying to get, you know, pulse your crowd, you're trying to figure out what they can do with wine and so on. Because when you're a sommelier, you don't want to blow out their palate. You say, your palate's right here, and I can take you two steps forward or two steps back, and you'll like the wine. Mm -hmm. If I jump you too far forward, it's like, doesn't matter if it's a good wine or a bad wine, they're not going to really appreciate it or like it. So like we say with Tom, you don't open your best bottle of wine on Thanksgiving when <laughs> right. the whole family is here. <laughs> well, it's just too many flavors going on. So yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So I was learning their palates, and once I learned their palates, then it's about educating them. On, and sooner or later, it's like, oh, my gosh, now they're turning back onto me as like, this is it. You know, <laughs> did you ever do a theme where the wine is the food had to match a, like a, a blind wine that you're serving or we would always do pairings. Okay. And it's really back to your knowledge of wine, whether you know how to pair wine with the food. And I would help them out at times. So it's like if you want to know what's going to pair with that. Yeah, sure. And it was normally the food first, though. And okay. I would always think of, OK, Let's try to keep the wines working with the dishes while we're doing dishes. Then when it when all we're all done, we would then just open up wine. Jim, what was going. your favorite pairing or what epic meal that you've uh, done as a group? Um, I think uh, it was actually my daughter who we cooked for um, uh, with the spouses, and she made the scallops with a puree of uh, carrot. And it was surprisingly good. So, yeah. Uh, Tim did some fragua, which was amazing. It was perfectly seared. Uh, there, were, there were several. We did a, a roasted fig uh, with thyme and orange and mixed that with a sabayon, which was delicious. All delicious. the components of those yeah. could have been on their own, but together they were out of the world. So. so how do you pick, do you have a way to pick the theme or is it just random? It, it's kind of random. At mm-hmm. times it's what's going on in your life and so on. And at one point it was like 
Mike, we, we pick winners at the end of the night, which is good and bad in the same breath. But at one time I was like, we got to get Mike on the, you know, the winners list here on this one. So I came up with at lunch is like, let's throw all our names into a hat and you pick the dish for someone else. Ah, uh-huh. and it's like okay, and well, I, that's getting I, tricky. Luck, I picked uh, I picked Mike, luckily, and then I did a uh, a salmon and sorrel dish as I gave him from Trois Gros in Rouen, France, <laughs> which is an epic Classic. dish. Yes, Classic. epic dish, and he was kind of worried about it, and I said, "Don't worry about this. This is very simple, but it's yeah. very technical, and I will help you out on this." And it came out perfect. You were good. And we end of the night. What's the wine with the, that? I, I like a, a white, yeah, a white wine. Normally, you can get yeah, to a, a light Pinot on something like that. But, sorrel, sorrel is yeah, a tough sorrel. One. I, I'm a Merceau guy. I like yeah. Merceaux. So uh, those Chardonnays are awesome. So all right, when we come back, we're going to finish up this journey with the four guys and a tomato, uh, and take a trip to Bainbridge Island. Does that sound good, Jim? That sounds excellent. All right, we love that. Thanks, That's Tim. when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. 97.3 FM. And we're back in the Hot Stove Society. Having a fun day here today. Continuing our chat with the uh, four dudes and a tomato. Tomato. Four gentlemen, four guys. Four guys and a tomato. Yeah, I know we can do it. Uh, we've heard all about forming a dining club kind of group and how fun that is. It helps. Uh, sounds to me like it helps. Like it's you have four like-minded people that like each other to begin with. Uh, and uh, what else have we learned so far, Chef? We learned that they pick their theme randomly. Not like it's not like we're going to line up the next two years and this is what's going to happen every month. Right. And you guys meet once a month, right? Uh, pretty much once a month before COVID. Uh, right. In the right. pandemic, we've kind of lost our, uh, we've, our fun. We've also learned that they like to maybe torture each other a little bit. They'll put their <laughs> names and dishes in a hat, and you have to make what your, your buddy tells you to make, I which know. is kind of fun. That is kind um, of fun. That, that's, that one is a good challenge. Yeah. And then this last one that I have here, Mike has joined us on the mic uh, along with uh, Jim. Um, you take a trip to Bainbridge every year. Yeah, so to uh, back up, you might be wondering about the tomato. He's the fifth guy. Uh, He joined the group. He doesn't cook, or at least he didn't. After about 10 years, he really got into barbecuing and smoking, and now he's just as good as the rest of us. Uh, Mike is uh, our uh, fourth guy and uh, in the four guys in tomato, but he probably is the one that named the group and... uh, uh, I'm the fifth wheel. The fifth wheel. Yeah. The, you're an and, RV, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Let's get so, on the No, 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 no. He said you're the fourth guy. It means the truck cannot move until you're here. There you go. I'll just let you know the very first one was at my house in August. Yeah. So I think I'm so, the first guy. You're yeah. the first guy. Oh. So uh, Mike spent some, he lived in Japan for a while. He brings some of that culture to us. Uh, but we get together as a group of guys just to you know, socialize, and our wives got very jealous about it. So once a year, we put on a full day of cooking for them uh, at my daughter's house on Bainbridge Island. She has a, a, a old house that was built in 1895 by a lumber baron. It's on the water with a beautiful wraparound porch. So we let them sit out on the porch. We bring them course after course. It's it's not a dinner. It's just 
whatever we can make for them. And, of course, there's always a wine pairing with it. So you can imagine. We're working for the ladies. You, yeah. you can think of Saturday as 16 hours and 16 dishes. Yes. Nice. Nice. Oh, you do as many dishes as you can. You don't just do one. Oh. oh. Sometimes it's 12, 15 different dishes. Awesome. But small, uh, small it's plates. Day. Now you're so, talking Terry's language. He loves I know. It's yeah, all day yeah. event. And we're, uh, we're just working for the whole women. idea of having a big dinner with one plate is like, it's so overrated for me. I'm like, 12 little things. It's like, Actually, the problem was that the, we kind of brought in meals, but it was too much. And then yeah. one of our themes was small plates. So yeah. whatever you want to bring, but small plates. I bet, I bet they love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the tomato brought, at the end of like 15 small plates, the tomato brought in an 18-pound brisket. Nice. nice. His idea, tomatoes. I miss, he missed the first email. No wonder small why he didn't make it today. He didn't get the message. <laughs> and, you know, a small plate to the tomato is an 18-pound brisket that's yeah. been smoked for 16 hours at 225. I personally think that every dinner you do should have one small plate of tomato by one guy rotating. Thank you for that, Chef. No, just, just an idea. Uh, they call you tiramisu, Mike. Yeah. Uh, because you apparently make the best tiramisu in all the land. Yeah, which you're going to so judge me on later. When you, uh, oh, totally, I'm going to judge you. Uh, <laughs> you. You don't even have to ask. I get judged. It's natural for just him. Just look online. I get judged every day, every meal. Just check me out online. People trash me all the time. It's so. a life uh, It's my little pleasure. way to get back. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. does every meal have to have tiramisu uh, that you no. guys do? Or do they force you? Like, my, you know, everything I do has to have a piece of coconut cream pie in it. Okay, no. So the, 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 the short story of the long story is my very first... I lived in Belgium for five years. My very first date... Uh, to become my wife was, um, you know, she gave me tiramisu and she had an Italian friend in, in college there and uh, actually used Calvados and that was interesting. But anyway, um, next thing you know, I got twins and, you know. <laughs> All the Calvados was on the side. It's the power, it's the power of tiramisu. Yeah, okay? exactly. <laughs> and then I converted my garage into a commercial kitchen and shipped nationwide. Uh, for about 12 years, staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning, did bite to Seattle, and then uh, I got out of the food business, and these guys took me out of retirement this Wednesday. Yeah. He refuses to make it for us. Yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you a bit. Jim, I always ask people this when I'm doing classes here at the hot stove, and I want to get to know people a little bit more, because people are scared in the kitchen sometimes, and they don't have confidence, but they always have a dish that they own in the kitchen, right? That you just know every time you make it, this is, I own lasagna, or I own this particular ravioli. You, you guys want to tell me what your dishes that you own? Uh, curiously enough, um, I like to just go for it. So I can't so say I have a signature dish. I think it's duck. You, you like well, duck. Well, we, we like duck, yeah. But uh, You know, that's, one, that's mine, too. I love making duck. Well, we'll yeah. have to go head to head. Uh-oh. He'll judge you. Not everything is a competition, <laughs> no Jim. You know what? I don't think you get that right. <laughs> From what we just heard from those Everything's guys. a competition. Everything, Everything is, is a competition. competition. But those guys are not doing this for the eating purpose. They just want to win, no matter what it is. But I will say that I was 11 years old, and I would come home. This is 1965. Watch cartoons with my brother. But then the news would come on, and we'd switch over to the national educational TV. And my mentor, Jean- Julia Child, uh-huh. who's... 110th birthday would have yeah. been last week, uh, was making a chocolate souffle. I thought, that's the perfect food. So I scribbled the recipe down on the back of my homework. Talk about fearless. 
I called my mother. I, I looked for the ingredients. I found everything. I called my mother at work and said, what's granul- granulated sugar? <laughs> and she said, well, that's an ordinary sugar. sugar. And I, she said, why? I said, oh, I'm going to make a chocolate souffle. Bye. <laughs> Nice. She and called the fire department and said, can you go to my home? <laughs> never used a stove, um, having only watched that one episode. Yeah, that's the power of Julia. And it turned out perfectly. Good. Yeah. So Perfect. we're going to reprise that recipe this weekend as the last dish. Oh, good for you. Chocolate. I haven't made it in decades. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Tim's uh, crab cakes and his special sauce are awesome. And I think um, Frank has got pizza nailed down. Nailed. Yeah. But but he one year he didn't get the message either. He bought the biggest king crabs in oh, yeah. Chinatown and made crab three ways mm-hmm. for our small plates. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was delicious. I walked into Bainbridge, by the way, one time and I, I go into Jennifer's place there and I see like this thing flying in the air and it's Jim slamming an octopus onto the granite countertop. Mm-hmm. And he keeps going at this thing, and that was the softest You know, that was the greatest octopus ever. So at the end of the day, what have you learned as friends and as, uh, as club mates uh, in this process? I know you all worked at Microsoft, uh, but that you've taken it to another level. Is there uh, an energy that you take away at the end of the night with your pals? Definitely. I mean, uh, the wine helps from uh, Tim's collection. Sure. Okay. Um, but no, it's just been really great times. I, I just love the creativity of it. Mm-hmm bring a different thing. Sometimes we don't have a theme and it's just all over the map, but you know, and then some ad hoc things happen like the Sabayon at whatever midnight uh, that Jim did. And Frank made one of the best, I'm a kind of a burrito guy and Frank made one of the best burritos. Of course it helps. It's like 1 AM and you've had some wine. Yeah. Um, so just that creativity and, uh-huh. and getting together, I think, you know, and then somebody goes and eats something at a restaurant and, and says, Hey, let's go, let's go figure out what they did. Do you ever have any midnight uh, cravings like food runs? Like, God, we have to order some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no but never. at the end of the evening, it's almost a tradition now that Frank will make fried rice uh-huh. out of all the leftovers. Uh, every every time we get together, there's fried rice and uh, maybe some whiskey at the uh, end of the evening. Just because you didn't have enough wine. Right. Yep. This is a You guys food sleep club. on the promises? <laughs> There have been times. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, there's Uber. Yeah, exactly. There wasn't exactly. back then, actually. But yeah. Well, if you haven't been inspired uh, listening to the last few segments uh, to go and think about opening your own Yeah. Not opening, but starting your own uh, food club. Club, yeah. To me, it's a really great way to um, energize your kitchen. Yeah. Sometimes we get into a rut yeah. in our kitchens, and this is a great way to kind of force feed yourself new dishes and try new things. Expand yeah. your horizon. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. nice to have it with people who are not necessarily professional, yep. you know, who are in the same boat as you are. They just want to eat something different yeah. and learn different technique. Which I think is the, the secret of expansion. We're extremely unpro- unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> but proud you know, of it. But, but yeah, exactly. you know, the lack of uh, like not having everything structured and planned out, I think that's part of it. Because yeah. you can just bring whatever. And we ran out of good recipes at one point. And we ran out. Of, we had three or something in the beginning. And it's like, oh, geez. And then we just started experimenting with brand new stuff. Yeah. And there were some and Hopefully some you have issues. a scribe that's... Uh, writing all this down so that at some point we got a, not a, only do you have a t-shirt with yeah, your logo yeah. and coffee mugs with yeah. your logo but you can yeah. have your, your house cookbook with no your we logo. do we you so know, we, we have a template for our recipes with our logo on it and so you know how was, ba- bands have a, have a you know like the, the singer in the front 
and all the places they've been touring in the back. Yeah, oh, okay, you should have the yeah. tomato in the front and all the pl- dishes you've done to, in the I've back. I've been to Jim's kitchen. I've been to Tim's kitchen. And- <laughs> <laughs> all right, when we come back, uh, we're going to demolish the four dudes in a tomato in Rub With Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Holy cow, trivia. this is all... Oh. It's, you, it's us against the four. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> all right. Cairo well. Radio, 97.3 <laughs> FM. We're back in the Seattle kitchen on the Cairo Radio. It's Hot Stove Society Show. Damn it. <laughs> and we are. T- it's time to play our weekly version of Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, made by yours truly in the Ballard area at our warehouse out there where uh, Serious Pie Ballard is. Rub with Love's are, are tasty little treats uh, that you can find in grocery stores and butcher shops and online all over the country. Uh, they can help you doll up just about any dish. Uh, our rubs and sauces and mustards are available around the Seattle area in places like Met Market, PCC, Town and Country. If you're traveling, you can pick up a jar or two at Made in Washington or Seattle Made on the Sea Concourse, not far from your Lulu. That's right. And of course, uh, we offer the entire line at Sea Town, Serious Pie Ballard, and here at the Hot Stove Society Show. So, uh, Jim and the boys, uh, the, the tomatoes. I guess the dudes and the tomato has declined the show today. He was scared of us. Jim and the boys are going to take us on, but you know they've thrown a wrinkle. They did. Yeah, they did. Which I, like I, kind of, I kind of like this wrinkle that they've thrown. Jim, you want to tell us uh, <laughs> how your team is going to compete today? Well, yes. We thought it'd be unfair to compete the the five of us with you, and we're all avid lis- uh, listeners of the show. And it occurred to us that Pamela always writes the questions, mm-hmm. but she mm-hmm. never competes. Ooh. So wow. We, so we each, boom, boom, boom. So we each have a question for Pamela. Okay. And uh, they're all easy. So uh, All right. We're going to end the show with that to see if <laughs> Pam can do it. But, but Pam, do you want to uh, tell us how the, sh- the game is played and who's going to be our winners today? Something tells me I know that already. <laughs> she can't tell you. Normally she No, no, can't. no. I mean the, the spice rub prize. Oh. Um, it's going to go to Jan Penrod uh, for asking us about and inspiring us for that antipasto segment. Yeah. She's going to get the uh, Chinese 12 spice and Bengal masala. Okay, good. Mm, yeah. Thank you again for that, Jan. That was a sweet uh, thought. Yeah, very sweet. Okay. All right. So All right. That's tough. So you ask five questions and I answer five of them, right? Correct. And you try to do it correctly. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that part, yeah. I made it really easy today. So you guys are throwing me for a loop. It's all about tomatoes and melons. Uh, Multiple choice, Terry. The tomato is native to what present day location? Italy and Spain, Peru and Ecuador, Mexico or China? I'm going to go with Peru. You are correct. As a wild weed-like plant similar to a cherry tomato was the origin. Number two. Does the word tomato come from Old English, Spanish, Italian, or the Aztec dialect Nuhotal? Oh, I'm so familiar with that language. I think I'm going to go with the uh, Aztec. You are winning today. Number two. I'm fluent in that. (laughs) (laughs) You want a tomato? Tomato. Tomato. What percent of watermelon is water? What are the three? uh, Do we have a... 73... 92 or 85 percent? 92. Yes. 
How can you prepare a goat cheese log so it crumbles more easily? Uh, I would just add a little creme fraiche to it, so <laughs> it's just a little bit softer and it doesn't crumble. No, no she wants it to crumble I want it more to easily. Crumble. Uh, pardon me, just edge it a little bit longer so it dries out. Oh, okay. Oh, we no, were looking no, no. for freezing it for a few minutes. So it dries up so you could crumble it with a fork. Which of the following is what not... What you misunderstood was she said, how would you do it? And I she, just told she you how I would you, do it. I, I would know. just hate you a little bit longer. That's you correct. Because which she, of the following is not the name of a tomato variety? Tiny Tim, Mr. Stripey, Earl of Edgecombe, or Walt's sweater? That one. The sweater. <laughs> You did fantastic today. Fortified. Wow, very good. Pamela, you're in trouble. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm going to go next. And then so Pam's going to bring up the rear here. According to the USDA, what American state grows the most tom- tomatoes for processing? Texas, Washington, Virginia, or California? Cali- California. California. Yes, they grow 94% of the tomatoes Which for is processing. why we're in trouble because there's no water down there. That's right. When was the first can of Campbell's condensed tomato soup created? 1941, 1929, 1897, or 1881? I'm going to say 41 because I think they did it for the war effort. The correct answer is 1897. Yeah, because of the 1897 war. <laughs> <laughs> that was Spanish American War. Spanish- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what actor starred in Return of the Killer Tomatoes, the 88 sequel to Attack of the Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) The correct answer is George Clooney. Okay. Um, Early explorers had a unique use for watermelons. Mm -hmm. Ballast. (laughs) They used them as canteens. Oh. Please name an implement commonly found in a spa treatment that is great for scrubbing potatoes. Uh, Lufa. Yes. You See, don't you put baby in the corner? <laughs> she thought I had no way of knowing that. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Two out of five, Tom. Thank you so much. Jeez. Thank you, everyone. That was fantastic. Okay, right. here we go. So, just a reminder: Jim and the f- four tomatoes, or the four dudes and a tomato, are going to ask Pamela their questions. So, since there are five of us, you'll get her. five questions. Okay. Excellent. Are you ready? I'm ready. My mentor, Julia Child, got her big TV break appearing on Boston's local WGBH while promoting her cookbook. What was it that she did on air that got her noticed? She dropped a chicken. She brought in a hot plate and made an <laughs> omelet while as- answering questions on live TV. Fancy. Well, you, viewers the loved chicken her. chicken had to lay the egg. As long as <laughs> viewers loved her and requested more cooking demonstrations. Ah, the beginning. You knew that one? No. Oh. What word or phrase do the Taiwanese use to describe the perfect mouthfeel of their chewy, slippery noodles? QQ, bang bang, cow cow. Al dente. Cow cow. Wrong, it's QQ. <laughs> <laughs> you were convincing for a second. Okay, next question for you. Since you have an extensive wine background and you're married to the owner of the Pike and Western Wine Shop, according to the Cork Quality Council, the Whistler, which is the largest pr- production cork tree in the world, located in Portugal, produces nearly one ton of raw cork every nine years of harvest. That's enough cork to plug how many bottles 50,000 bottles 100,000 bottles 
150,000 bottles and 200,000 bottles. 150,000? Uh, 100,000 bottles. Oh, not bad. Huh? Well, if I'm, if I'm keeping tally here, I believe we're at zero, zero for three so far. You are enjoying this oh, too this much. Oh, this is too darn bad. Hello, hello. Oh, hello. Is this the final this question? This is Jeremy Sue Mike. No, 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 no there's one more oh, there for you. Is? Okay, well, uh, in, 1990, in the 1999 movie Sleepless in Seattle, yes. Rob Reiner gave Tom Hanks dating advice while they sat at the counter of the Athenian restaurant in the Pike Place Market. True. What was the one word that Tom's character, Sam Baldwin, needed to know? Chianti. Tiramisu. (laughs) Current tally, 0 for 4. 0 for 4. You're you're doing well, Pam. So I'll read the tomatoes uh, question since he couldn't be here. What do they call the crusty outer coating of dry rub meats, such as brisket, that have been smoked for hours? Bark. Bark is correct. She's not funny. She has one. The sugars uh, caramelize the spices for the highly prized flavor of barbecue. Under the bark is a layer of pink meat called the smoke ring. Past that is the juicy, tender meat that has had its collagen broken down for the long, low cooking. There you go. Wow. So, um, big thank you. Pamela's going to walk around with a big L on her head today. If you want to be part of the show like the four dudes in a tomato, you can watch the taping on YouTube at Tom Douglas and Company or buy a ticket to come right here at hotstovesociety.com. Comes with breakfast. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, loser. Sound and production by Sean McFadden. And our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a happy tomato weekend.